90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. We haven't blown away or had hell damage, so <laughs> there's that. Yeah, that's we've had several pretty big QLCS things come through, and we haven't mm-hmm. gotten a lot other than rain, but you guys have really got put oh, through the ringer. Yeah, we, uh, we've been in the closet twice this week, and um, then on the way to school this morning, there was a tornado warning that came on over the radio, so that's always fun. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you had an early morning big QLCS mess go through, and mm-hmm. we got it about nine thirty, ten o'clock over here. Oh, it's always so strange to have storm warnings that early. This well, tornado warnings especially that early in the morning. But um, yeah, we needed the rain, so that's totally fine. And yeah, that's how we are. <laughs> yeah. How how was your vacation? It was great. Was it weird? <laughs> it was very weird. I had a few people that were wanting things while I was gone. Um, but to be perfectly honest, after Tuesday, I literally shut off. I, I didn't have email on the phone because I'm still on my burner phone <laughs> until <laughs> my new one comes. Um, so I didn't have email there. And I checked email, I think, Monday night while we were on vacation on the iPad. And then I took it off there. Oh, and didn't good check for you. it again until Monday morning. <gasps> I didn't even check it over the weekend. Almost uh, a week. <laughs> I told the the guys that if you know something something big came up to text, and a couple times they did. But other than that, uh, no, I mostly pretended like things didn't exist outside of vacation. Wow, how did that feel? Did you have very like, good? Really, you didn't have any like stress about it when you first turned it all off. No, I actually like the last day or two of vacation was the or probably the last day or the day before I went back to work was the most stressful. Like I had dreams about all the stuff that was going to be waiting for me the next day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Sunday scaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think what I'm really probably, you know, Lindy and I were talking about it and what we really probably should do is instead of waiting years and going on a week long total thing mm-hmm. is like, you know two or three times a year go out for a long weekend. <laughs> like yes. That would be a lot easier. Exactly. Uh, that's funny. My husband and I have the same conversations. So mm-hmm. we went on a week-long thing because we've also never done that. So when we went to Padre Island earlier this summer, I, I don't think we've taken – we took like nine days off or something, and that was crazy. That was really yeah. weird. I did check email. Because I had a class that was ending right around then. So it wasn't, you know, all vacation, but mostly. So, yeah, it's probably good for your psyche. But we can, um, we'll discuss later what too many meetings does to you. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. We went to a lot of great museums, uh, the World War One Museum. Uh, there was an exhibit at uh, Union Station that was documenting the the history of Auschwitz and oh interesting that was very very well done uh, it took between 3 and 4 hours to go through the whole exhibit oh wow yeah um we went to the uh airline museum airline history museum okay and lots of breweries 
Obviously. Totally. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, what is that? Oh no, that's St. Louis. Never mind. I was thinking of a different brewery that I was going to ask you about, but um, you know, Boulevard is the big one there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so we went. I through like there Boulevard, and, man. That's a good. It's a good beer. You know, it's kind of funny because it used to used to be Boulevard would have been considered craft beer. Yes, I know. <laughs> just just like Sam Adams, but you know, they're now they're talking about. Well, we brew in this eleven thousand gallon brew kettle. <laughs> okay (laughs) yep that's so funny everybody got boulevard wheat before you could get anything else like that was that was the one you got so mm -hmm. yeah it was it it was an interesting tour and tried lots of their beers tried one that was supposed to taste like neapolitan ice cream and it did (gasps) oh which was not a good thing i was just going to say i don't think i would like that although i love neapolitan ice cream i don't want that flavor in my beer Exactly. I want uh, beer flavored beer. <laughs> Maybe pumpkin flavored beer. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that. I've got pumpkin fermenting right now. Yes. Excellent. Well, maybe on one I have of these. A pumpkin um... and a... mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'll, I'll be over there soon. Uh... Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Transporting one direction or the other needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I've got a winter warmer, which mm. won't be ready until December. Uh, and started a chocolate milk stout. But currently, in front of me, I have a glass of our peach sour, which I finally got in the kegerator. Oh. I don't love sours. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's like, a divisive thing. It is, and it's like, I want to, because I love beer. But it's just not, some of them are okay. But it's not my go-to. This doesn't taste like a warhead, but it's close. Mm. <laughs> it's very sour. I'll hold out for the pumpkin one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exciting though. That's um yeah. And we're about to kick that. the uh the Pohoihoi peanut butter porter. Oh. Mm-hmm. I think we're about to kick our third batch of it. <laughs> My goodness. Wow. So, That's a good one then. Yeah, in the last year we've brewed fifteen gallons of that and our friends and oh, neighbors have Lord. <laughs> drank all of it out from under us. <laughs> oh, that's perfect though. That's what you Yeah, want. no, it's great. It's it's our most popular one by far. So I'm gonna start another batch of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Oh, that sounds great. Um, okay, so weird beers is gonna lead into this. I have no idea where you found the ideas for today's show. <laughs> <laughs> no clue. So you know those listicle things that are like 11 <laughs> blah, 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 that you won't believe that nobody wants to click on, but all of us do? <laughs> I can't believe you admitted that. <laughs> right. So there was one a while back that was something about like nature. And most of those I don't even look at because they're mm-hmm. bogus. Right. But it had a picture of these weird rocks on the the cover oh, for it. The rocks sucked like, you in. <laughs> What? So I clicked on it and scroll down past all the other stuff. Okay, yeah, I don't care about biology. Yeah, scroll, 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 scroll. Okay, don't care about that. Scroll, scroll. Yep, hate mail. Yep. Bring it on. Um, John said that. I love biology. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, until I cut in all of the times that you've (laughs) not said that over the years. Um, But anyway, so I scrolled until I saw the picture of this rock and it said what well, was very clearly to me a bogus description, but it said Trovance of Romania. 
And I thought, what is a Trovant? <laughs> and a couple hours later, I'm still not sure. Yeah. Um, and there's actually not a ton about this on the internet, which is not something you can say frequently. Yeah, I'm sure you and I found like the same four websites exactly. that talk about Trovans. I was like, oh, because one of them is not well written. And I was like, really, this is what he gives me? And I'm like, there's there's nothing else to find about it. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> like there's nothing I did a else literature search, a pretty extensive literature search, and huh. didn't find much in the literature either. And yeah. the few things I found in the literature were not in English and not easily translatable. Yes, correct. That is true. <laughs> um, okay, so Trovance, Trovance. I no one I asked knew what I was talking about. I will say that. I, I think you're probably right when you say Trovant. Tro, Trovant is my Arkansas. That is exactly right. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic about it because I'm from, you know, higher class Oklahoma. <laughs> right. I couldn't even say it without laughing. Um, I say that because Trovanti sounds better than Trovanti, right? Because that's the, <laughs> yeah, that was all the only reason. But what, okay, so what are these the Trovanti like? down by the river. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to stick around for a while. Um, <laughs> since this is a radio show. I saw these pictures in one of the first articles that you linked, and I thought, okay, John, we've already done a concretion show, because that's right. what these things are, but they've got some weird stuff about them, but they're really honking big, like, they're people-sized and bigger, and they're, like, wonderfully round, and some of them look like weird, bulbous aliens. They look like hand samples of some minerals. Yes. Like, you know, you've seen those mm -hmm. bulby hematite hand samples. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. It looks like that. But yeah, the bulbs are like feet in diameter, meters in diameter. Yeah. They're, they're like singular ones that are big and weird looking because they're weird looking on the outside. But those ones that are all grouped together, those are really strange looking. Like, that's the one that sucked me in because I was like, okay, big deal. We've done a concretion show. What is this? I'm like, nope, that one's real strange looking. <laughs> so, mm -hmm, exactly. And... I mean, these are concretions, but there's a little bit more to the story of them. Um, but like you said, th there's not much out there about these, right? And they were named Trovanti by this naturalist, um, Mergochi, probably, when he was looking at tertiary rocks all around Romania and that area. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. th there's not even... You know, there's a Wikipedia article on everything. You have to go to the Romania Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. So weird that no one. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to figure out, are these called something else everywhere else? And no. Right. Uh, they just, they don't exist really outside of that kind of Romania, Russia, Kazakhstan, steppes. Mm -hmm. Czech Republic, like th that part of the world is really where these are found. Mm -hmm. The Carpathians, which is my favorite place, because obviously that's where a lot of Dracula literature comes from. And I'm really obsessed with that, in case anyone wanted to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is kind of cool. Um, how these things are different, because they do, they just look like large sandstone concretions or concretions on concretions on concretions. Um, but how they're different is they call these things like growing stones or living stones. And that's a couple of the articles that 
we did find it was just there's not a lot of geology in the article at all <laughs> but they just talk about yeah. how these stones when it rains they grow and that's what's weird about these concretions versus other sandstone concretions which if you haven't listened to that show and you're like what's a concretion you should go back and listen to that one <laughs> right and now the <laughs> The article authors would have you believe and want you to click on the link <laughs> by saying these grow when it rains. Yeah. They grow a few centimeters over a little over a thousand years. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> they grow, sure, but at about, you know, an inch every 250 years. Mm-hmm. Right. So I it's- mean, during your life, they might grow an inch, maybe. Right. Which is still weird. Yeah. So, so I get that. And so some of them just look like normal concretions, but the ones that, you know, that I kept having to look to say, why are they calling them growing stones? Because some of them almost look like they've got this casing on them that looks like what someone would say, Hey, is this a meteorite? <laughs> you know, you know what I right. mean? Cause it's got this weird, like mineral casing on it. So just like you said, just like that globular hematite or something like that. And that's the growing part, which actually has nothing really to do with growing, but it is kind of a cool physical process that's taking place. Right. But so the first thing that they, they when they found these weird uh, trovants, <laughs> they, they started saying, well, where did, what's the source material for this? Mm-hmm. And so they started looking at the in situ uh, environment of these. And it turns out that the Trovant and the surrounding sand are the same thing. How so about that? <laughs> why, why do you have in this bed of sand, uh, this tertiary sand layer, why do you have all these weird globular things? Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially, why are they spheroidal? Mm-hmm. And here is where the authors of these articles started spontaneously lifting into the air because the arm waving was going so fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which one was your favorite uh, arm wavy thing? Aliens was mine. Right. Uh, no, and... Uh, I see why they said something like this. Uh, the middle Miocene was very seismically active in that area. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so one hypothesis is that these were compacted areas of sand due to the long and intense seismicity of that area. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get this. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so, okay, so that's great. But explain to me how that. How does that make sandballs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that, that one makes... was a little puzzling to me. Yes, I agree. And that was on my list to ask you about for sure. <laughs> so let's do a little bit of quick math here. This is always dangerous to do live math. Oh, yeah. I try not to ever do that. <laughs> okay, so. Oh, this is a sandstone. Let's back this up with a little bit of data. Okay. Maybe. Uh, seismic. <laughs> Are 
Are we looking at velocities and sandstones? Yeah, I want to see how bad the range is here. Okay. Okay, so a P wave, which is what you would think could cause some compressional and rarefactional things. That is what a P wave is. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2,000 to 3,500 meters a second. Okay. So let's let's stick with 3,000 meters a second. I okay. was going to pick 25 out of my head, but let's call it three. I mean, okay. All these right, aren't so very, these aren't very well compacted either. So, right. So, what's the frequency of a teleseismic P wave? Got a hertz. It's your favorite. <laughs> so, that's got a wavelength of three kilometers. And these things aren't that big. <laughs> these aren't that big. They're okay, so meters. Let's do. But let's say we've got a very close source. It's 100 hertz. Mm-hmm. That's 30 meters. Yeah. They're not that big either. No. To get to that three meter scale, <laughs> we need a source frequency of a kilohertz. <laughs> Does that happen during seismic rupture? Absolutely. Is it going to travel any distance, especially in sandstone? No way. <laughs> Especially in poorly compacted sandstone. <laughs> um, that maybe, maybe there were like little micro faults in the center of all of these. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I can't. I don't. That and was I the only explanation that I found as to how these became out of this sand bed. And I don't like it. No, and I don't understand why it is invoked. Because to tell you the truth, a lot of these, when you look at them, they're just concretions. You could find these everywhere. You know, right. there's this um, this went on Earth article that you sent. It's like those concretions, sandstone concretions, are everywhere. You can walk anywhere in the western part of the United States where you have these huge sand beds from the Mesozoic, and it has. I mean, it looks just like these because this has this desert varnish, which is just this like manganese oxide lining around these concretions. And they look just like this. And so the difference in these Romanian ones is this growing thing. But you can find these everywhere. So that's a very weird explanation to invoke from them. Because the weird part about these trovants (laughs) 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 is that is the growing part. And so... That has nothing to do with seismic activity or whatever. And it has everything to do with the cement in these sandstones. Right. So during heavy rains, or well, really any rains, but when water is introduced to this, these are pretty porous. Like you said, there's a poorly compacted sandstone formation. The hypothesis is, and the way they worded it was so bad. They're like, the cement leaks out. (laughs) No, no. The water flows through and dissolves some of the Uh cement out of Uh the, out of the sandstone um, and it precipitates it. So the water runs to the other side, precipitates it as the water evaporates. So this water flows through and it's just re-precipitating the calcite cement from the inside. And it's this well-sorted, you can just tell from the pictures, it's this well-sorted quartz sandstone And that happens a lot. But what is weird, and this gets everyone, this is my favorite sedimentary petrology trick to play on people, (laughs) 
is no one knows what to do when you have this quartz sandstone with calcite cement, like carbonate cemented quartz sand. Everyone freaks out <laughs> and they don't right. know how, you know, like, how do I classify this? And the, the joke, if you don't know, is that it doesn't matter what the cement is. The classification is the same, but it's not super common to have these calcite cemented quartz sands, I guess, that form these concretions. Maybe that's why. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just reprecipitation of that calcite on the outside, which makes me think, like, have they broken these things open? And can you see? Like, have you, I want to see a thin section of this thing. That's what I want to see. Well, here's my question, too. Wouldn't that then say that they grow downward? Because um, the, the rain's yeah. not going to take the cement, dissolve it, and deposit it on the upwards. It's not going to fight gravity. I mean, yeah, there's diffusive forces, but Fickian diffusion can't defeat gravity in this case. Oh, I was going to say, if you had, I mean, it, it'd be like capillary wick action. So you'd have to have yeah, like. I guess that's all you could do. Yeah, you could have like, I don't know, like really strong wind blowing over the top of them that's creating this like reverse gradient. <laughs> I wonder if just like the sunshine on it dries the surface and that would pull the water from the soaked inner part out. Yeah. I, mean, I would still think that they would grow asymmetrically. And no, I could, I could see that happening because it's, the pore network can be pretty complex. That's you true. Know? So if you can't, if it's highly tortuous, which is a really fun science word to say, you know, if you have high tortuosity within those, um, within the permeability, maybe you can get it more symmetrical. But for real, these big ones don't look like they're very growing. The growing ones look like the small ones to me. Yeah. Well, and you think about it too, you know, volume and surface area, how they grow with radius like there's going to be a physical size limit to what diffusion of water into or out of this can do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, they're weird concretions, but I don't know how much I buy it. I think we need to take a trip to Romania to check it out. That's the only way we can solve this. <laughs> well, I'm looking at, so the, the win on earth link, which I'll put in the show notes, there is one in that one that's busted open. Uh, just naturally, it looks like it fell over. I mean, maybe I could argue that you can tell some difference between the inner and outer portion. But yeah, you really need to you, you need to PMAG drill these things. Yeah. Yeah, let's go do that. Make some um, thin sections out of it. So I guess one of them does say that on the inside, they are layered. But in, in, that's just a concretion that, yeah. you know, all of them are layered. So... Now, here's where I think seismicity may have had something to do with it, okay. which I have seen in you know sandstone reservoirs, seismicity and stress changes in the larger picture can enhance opening of cracks in right. preferred orientation. Mm -hmm. So I could see something like that helping produce the initial nucleus for these. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I can see regional tectonic stresses being a factor, which sure a factor of earthquakes, but it's not waves from earthquakes compressing sand. Right, exactly. And that could even be, you know, opening up regional where you could get more fluid flow to create the concretions in the first place too, like regionally, not just 
on the concretion scale. So that could be why there's like so many concentrated right there too. Right. Maybe. Um, but, but yeah, so it says, you know, when cut, they have sphere, spherical and ellipsoidal rings similar to the ones in a tree trunk. These growing rocks were thought to look identical and even move like the sliding rocks of Death Valley, which is not true. The rocks in Death Valley aren't concretions. They're just chunks of rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's and I'm not... pretty sure this, you know, four meter trovant is not getting blown around. Yes, correct. Correct. It does give some credence to my high wind capillary wick action thoughts. But <laughs> 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 um, it, yeah, so they're really weird anyway, you know, Um I do like that one of the articles is it's confusing if these trovants should be categorized as living or non-living creatures. Clearly. Clearly they are non-living. Yeah. And they are not a creature. Yeah, but whether it's alive it's a or not. physical process. <laughs> uh, yep, not alive. And it's also probably not something you're really, it's not like you're going to walk up to these things right after a rainstorm and they're going to be like gooey from calcareous ooze. Right. You know, so they're super well, you cool. Need, you need to get some uh, some concretions that have calcite cement mm-hmm. and a garden hose mm-hmm. and a set of calipers. <laughs> You're correct. And every day, set this thing outside and go out and spray it. And the <laughs> next day, measure it and then spray it. And, you know, you might you might get a few centimeters of growth over your lifetime. Okay. All right, I'm gonna find one. I know I've got, I know I've got a couple concretions out there. They got a pretty good iron coating on them, but I'm sure I can crack them open and have a go and see what happens. <laughs> All right, so we'll start this grand experiment and we'll do the publication uh, probably right around episode 800. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, these are real weird. Um, I'm glad we talked about them, but also like I need to see them. Like yeah. Missouri, somebody's got to show me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, so for our Romanian <laughs> listeners. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> you know, when if, we if ask Australian questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've never heard of these until I saw this article. So if anybody's ever heard of them or has any information on yeah. them or even has one. Yes. Uh, let, us, let us know. I mean, it's probably illegal to take them, but we won't tell. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, yeah, we have Australia questions and people answer those. So I would love it if somebody has been to Romania or is from that area and can tell us about that. And Dracula, but that's separate. <laughs> yeah. That's Shannon's other podcast. Right, exactly. Oh man, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my mind is very busy trying to come up with titles for that. But, uh, <laughs> Just, I was like, what's the first show going to be? Okay, great. <laughs> so right. many riffs on blood and everything. <laughs> okay. But uh, with that, I think it's time to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! Um. So I'd want to do another podcast, but I might get tired from all the planning meetings, right? (laughs) Right. And uh, this is from the Journal of Applied Psychology uh, this year. 
The Fatiguing Effects of Camera Use in Virtual Meetings, a within-person field experiment by Shockley et al. I thought when I read that title, it meant like a single person experimented on themselves. <laughs> That's what I thought not... initially, and then I was like, yeah. how are there so many co-authors? And then you read like, okay. <laughs> I know. That's, I was like, is each one of them an experimenter? <laughs> um, I also had those thoughts. This is crazy to me the body of literature that exists for the background of this paper. (laughs) Yeah. So in part of the paper, even they say, uh, you know, they're talking about uh, since the start of COVID-19, the concept of virtual meeting fatigue has received attention and a small body of academic research. And then there's like six citations. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All from the last two years. I'm like, man, the pandemic treated these research much differently than it treated me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, so much different. <laughs> um, and so basically we're looking at a group of people within the same organization and we're testing out this idea of virtual meeting fatigue or zoom fatigue on, you know, the more virtual meetings you have, There's this weird, this is really funny, and I hate that I obviously do this too, is like, you know, there's this weird like presentation you have to present yourself and doing it virtually. And there's a lot of stuff written. There's like five um, citations about this is like that you stare at yourself when you're in a virtual meeting. (laughs) But (laughs) that's another, that's another paper. But just whether like being in these meetings, this was a weird thing, leads to voice fatigue. Or like basically lack of engagement. So the more meetings right. you have with your camera on or off, does that change how you, this voice fatigue or engagement, does that change? Right. And so they had several hypotheses that they were going to test here. That they uh, outlined so many times in this paper. I definitely they, knew what this paper did. was about. <laughs> so hypothesis one. On days when employees use a camera during virtual meetings versus not using a camera during virtual meetings, they will experience greater feelings of daily fatigue. Uh Number two, compared to days when employees do not use a camera during virtual meetings, using a camera will reduce daily voice via fatigue. Three, compared to days when employees do not use a camera during virtual meetings, the camera will reduce daily engagement via fatigue, which is just a reframing of two. And then four, the positive with in-person relationship between using a camera during virtual meetings versus not using a camera and fatigue for employees is moderated by gender such that the relationship is stronger for women than for men. And that is what we tested. Oh, no, there's one more. Uh, positive with in-person relationship between using a camera during virtual meetings versus not using a camera and fatigue for employees is moderated by organizational tenure which I thought was an interesting one as well. I thought this one was an interesting one as well, because we talk a lot about this, about how new people might not feel they have a voice and I'm beyond being new. And so it's not something that I think about initially. Right. And you know, that there may be more pressure on them to, to have their camera on, to be really engaged, Mm -hmm. to be saying lots of stuff because they need to show that they're a valuable addition to the team. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how this is further in the paper, and this is kind of a non sequitur, but this was very interesting to me too about how 
it's heightened in the digital environment because they don't they can't see body language to see how what they're doing is landing essentially and i got really nervous reading that cuz i was like oh i would yes cuz the lack of body language really affects me i didn't realize how how much i take that in until we started doing all this virtual stuff and then i thought oh that would be terrible if this was like my first year like we had a new right. colleague and he's been here already like a year and a half and we've barely met him you know <laughs> so it's <laughs> always really strange to be like none of us really know you even though we've been in these virtual meetings with you a whole bunch you know so that was a stressful thing to read and think about as well now the way they did this is they uh, got an employer to agree to enroll some of their staff. And this was done with the classic five point Likert scale. <laughs> uh, Likert they had, or not. <laughs> right. Uh, where they had two weeks of using the camera and two weeks of not as much as possible. Said, well, you know, if you're meeting with a client and you need to use it, like do, but otherwise yeah. don't. Um, what I thought was interesting here is so there were 19 days, four work weeks, one day was a holiday. Uh, 130 full timers were invited, 11 declined, uh, 16 were removed hmm. because 15 did not provide at least three days of data. Really? Out of 19? Um, so they signed up for it, but then they didn't do anything. No big surprise one, there. <laughs> right. And one, uh, it says one person's data could not be identified for day-to-day -day linkage, which I'm not sure. <laughs> I think that means they just scattershotted the survey. One big list. <laughs> right. That was it. Um, I was surprised because I thought I would immediately sign up for this. Oh, sorry. I can't have my camera on for two weeks. Sorry. <laughs> right. So why did not everyone want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> and out of the participants, they, well, in the paper, they say they were largely female, 56%. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <laughs> I don't know how that compares. They do not say how that compares to the male-female ratio of this particular employer. Maybe that is, but to me, 56% is not largely. That's actually shockingly close to half and half. Uh, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Very strange. Uh, and 71.8% Caucasian. Also not surprising. <laughs> right. So That would be they, largely uh, Caucasian. <laughs> yes. So they, they did this study. They had them submit their little Likert scales. And the results weren't too surprising. Yeah, the camera fatigues you. And yeah. you talk less the more you have it on, which mm -hmm. I want to argue about that one. But Okay. Uh, Okay. I, and I am also, not surprised that it fatigues people. Yes. Um, the interesting part or an interesting part of this was them talking about looking at the day after too. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, does it carry over your day two after a particularly fatiguing day? Do your day two meetings suffer as well? Yeah. Like how burned out are you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting, even though it was kind of a, a little side thing there. But okay, so you think that being on camera more leads to you talking less? 
or you no, don't no. agree with that? I I do not agree in that from teaching, I can tell you if people don't have their cameras turned on, they are not engaged because they are doing something else. A hundred percent. That is true. <laughs> Even if it's checking your email, because you're definitely doing it. Exactly. And so I disagree with that statement of it reduces your voice in the meeting to have your camera on. No, it means you're actually having to pay attention. So maybe you ask less questions that have already been addressed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I 100% would agree with that. And they don't. Did it say, I know they said the company, did it say what type of company or what kind of type of work they didn't, they just intimated no and it didn't even invited. credit the company anywhere I, I, yeah. I looked to try to find some hints and didn't really find much mm -hmm. yeah because i i absolutely agree with that mm -hmm. like even for in teaching small online meetings. courses i would say you well not all the courses i teach i have the authority to do this but in the ones where i do <laughs> i think you have to turn your camera on uh, uh, and even then people don't I made that a requirement for this year's virtual field camp versus last year's virtual field camp. And I still had a quarter of the people and it was the constant, Oh, it's broken. I'm like, how can I come to your house and call you a liar? Like, <laughs> but well, that's when you say, well, it's part of your grade. So yeah, fix mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Well, I, I did say that and it was part of their grade and they still didn't do it, which wow. is what was super shocking. There were a Willing couple of them points. Yeah, there are a couple of them that did talk significantly more. So they probably did have camera issues, but there were some of them that, yeah, they're like, nope, I'd rather just take the hit. And they always get found out because when class is over, they're still on there mm -hmm. <laughs> and don't log off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You realize that you've been talking to their empty room. Exactly. Very disappointing. But yeah, I mean, that. It just is what it is in terms of virtual whatever. Because we were just talking about this in relation to virtual meetings this week because GSA is going on right now. And it, I mean, it's in person, but there's still a lot of like virtual talks and everything. But it's like you still have to pay 250 bucks to attend the virtual meeting. But when I did that last year, like I only went to a few talks because I'm in my normal environment. And so I can't concentrate on attending the meeting, you know, people so still walk into your office and ask for things. Right. Exactly. So there's no way, no way to, to do that. So yeah, that's, this is not surprising. And I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of literature about this now. And it's one of those things where I just feel like there's a lot of literature now. <laughs> Yeah, you know? like, do, do we need a half a dozen papers to study this? Really? And this was a really long paper for the amount of data, I thought. But this is also us interacting with a domain in which we are not even vaguely experts. Yeah, that is absolutely true. That's absolutely because true. Because somebody's going to look at what we do and say, how many papers about sandstone do you need? Yeah, that's okay. Fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll just stick up for him a little bit there. Um, <laughs> um, and, and I will say, though, I, I said it not mockingly, but they did restate their hypothesis several times throughout here. And I actually quite like that, even though they said it a lot. 
I like that because I feel like that's one thing that people struggle with really is like making the hypothesis and understanding the hypothesis. My son is doing in his seventh grade science class, you know, they're talking about experimental setup. And that's one of the things I keep saying, like, what question are they asking? You know, cause he's just trying to find the answers. I'm like, what question are they asking? What question are they asking? And I think that people struggle, even like grad students, especially struggle with this in their own work. So I kind of like that because it, it just kept reiterating what was being tested and I feel like maybe I'm going to make my students, you know, analyze their hypothesis throughout the paper just to make sure they're sticking within the questions they're trying to address. I challenge you. Go pick up, I don't know, um, JGR Solid Earth or, you know, go pick up a, a reputable journal that is related to geology and geophysics and count how many papers in it have the word hypothesis in them in oh, a given yeah. issue. Mm-hmm. Zero, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say one if you're lucky. Yep, that's exactly right. So although I think it made this paper longer, <laughs> I quite liked it. So, Well, and you know, some of that is a result of bag shaking, which yeah. Yeah. is a dirty name for something that's not that bad. But like it's saying, you know, we did this study, what came out of it? Yeah. Not we did this study to address these specific questions because we don't always know exactly what we're going to get, but that doesn't mean you can't frame it in a scientific method way once you've done the study. Correct. Now, yeah. you know, the purists would say, well, that defeats the point because you're creating a hypothesis after you have the data. Well, you can't always follow that rule in geology. Yeah. Uh, or in a exactly. lot of natural sciences, because we can't do an experiment over and over and over to confirm or deny a hypothesis statistically. There's one earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lots of times there's one sample and you're never going <laughs> to get that <Right>. thing back. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So it's very interesting, even though there aren't very many pretty graphs. <laughs> yeah, the graphs are relatively plain, but I do appreciate that they print well in black and white. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that same thing, actually. And um, I'm definitely going to go look at some more of these Zoom fatigue things. When somebody calls a meeting, I'm going to throw this out, right? Because we're... We're all academics. They should respect this research. <laughs> also, they did say that they thought there were fewer people spent less time in meetings. And I, nope, did I not would survey disagree. us. Yeah, I, yes, correct. I thought that was really weird. Like it was common knowledge that in the digital age, you spend less time in meetings. That's how that comment landed for me. And I thought, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Yes, because people want to have Zoom meetings all the time now. I know. Later this week, I have like three scheduled in one day, and I already don't want to do it. Yeah, you're already (laughs) fatigued before you even even started. I know. I started doing this, but it's like students are saying that too, because I was like, oh, Zoom office hours. This is beautiful. But it's like nobody comes to office hours anyway, you know? And so I thought, well, this is silly. But the two people who have said it like they've asked about physically coming and they're like, I just, I don't want to do this. So it's like even these people that every old person insists on calling digital natives, they don't want to do this stuff either. (laughs) No. And I have, I will say I do group my meetings now instead of having like a zoom meeting, you know, this morning and one tomorrow afternoon and two the next day. Like, no, I'm like, okay, we're going to have zoom Friday. Ah, okay. Yeah. And that's... we're just going to have one day of misery. And then the rest of the time, 
leave me alone to work and we'll schedule your next call for a week from now. Surely there's a paper about that, about how people prefer to take their, to take their punishment like that all at once or doling it out in small doses. Cause I would also do well, that. For me, you know, I mean, for me, and I think for well, for a lot of us that are in scientific engineering research fields, like it takes me 20 or 30 minutes to get in the headspace of the problem I'm working on. Right. Yeah, exactly. And get up to speed on it. And if in the middle of that, now the phone rings or somebody's like, hey, we got to be on Zoom. I got to have that 20 or 30 minute spin up time again. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. literal physical spin up time of, you know, like today I was working on a system where it's a bunch of different microprocessors and they compute over or they uh, communicate over a fiber optic link. And that fiber optic link sends stuff to a radio that relays it uh, over, you know, like 40 miles. <laughs> <laughs> and like it takes legitimate physical effort to set all of this up and coordinate it and power it up. And once it is, you know, the thing's getting hot. It, we're putting time on all the equipment. Like, I, I really prefer to have large chunks of work time. And then when I have to have meetings, group them together into a large chunk. So I don't just carve up my day into a bunch of useless slices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My husband and I talk about this all the time. So totally agreed. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I got data was... to back it up though. When people say, Hey, let's, <laughs> you can say, no, I'm not going to, we're going to put all these back to back and this is why. Right. <laughs> but if, uh, you would like to submit your own data on zoom fatigue, we would love to see that. <laughs> Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Yeah, um, you can join our Zoom link at no. Uh, email us. We are at show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can find us on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I am at Shannon Doolin. You can come hang out in the Slack chat room. And also, thank you to all our Patreon supporters. And if you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And even though some would argue that when it rains, calcitic ooze (laughs) comes out of our heads. (laughs) Until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.